Welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf, the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. With us today is Evan Sohn. Evan is the chairman and chief executive officer of Recruiter.com. So Evan, tell us a little bit about your professional background and how you got to where you are today, especially since what you're doing is so incredibly timely. Thanks. So again, thank you so much, Maureen and Dan, for having me on your show. My uh, career, I really had the privilege and honor of working with some really uh, great entrepreneurs, great companies, and great industries. Uh, I started my first company in 1989 in mobile computing, so a long, long time ago. Grew that company over a decade in uh, a lot of enterprise spaces. Got acquired by Dun & Bradstreet in 1998. Was pulled out of there by a venture capital company to go work for a security company. Uh, was there for a while. That company uh, eventually got acquired by Message Labs, a UK-based company, which then got acquired by Symantec. I went back into mobile uh, for a little while. That got acquired by Verifone in the payment space, about a decade in the payment space, most recently with a company called Point, P-O-Y-N-T, out in Silicon Valley. And that company uh, was acquired by GoDaddy about a year and a half ago. Got involved with Recruiter.com about three, a little over three years ago, three and a half years ago, by one of the original investors. They uh, own this asset called Recruiter.com, and my task was really to come in there and see what I could do to help them really take the company to the next level. Started as chairman of the board in April of 2019. I became CEO in June of 2020 at the height of the pandemic. And then we uplisted to NASDAQ almost a year ago, July of 21, we uplisted to NASDAQ. Beautiful. What a journey. So tell us a little more about Recruiter.com and the current demand for your company, because from your joining in 2019 to being listed in 2020, I'm assuming that was a huge jump. Yeah. So the company provides really an on-demand platform for talent acquisition. So the company was a media company, a digital media company focused at all things recruiting. So um Three and a half million social media touch points, uh, four of the 10 largest LinkedIn groups, 48,000 Twitter followers, et cetera. Our plan really was really to turn all of these recruiters, and we now have over 40,000 of them on our platform. They're the experts in recruiting. They're the experts in talent acquisition. And let's get them access to the clients that are seeking the candidates. So that was really the model. We, over time, realized we're not just the Uber for talent acquisition, but we also want to have our own software. So we uh, invested millions of dollars into our own software, into software, and now we have full-on AI software for talent acquisition, a, a candidate identification and sourcing. We have over 170 million profiles in our database in the U.S. alone, so just lots of data. And we help clients, large and small, with their most precious asset, which is are their people, and helping them find the people that they need. And we do this either by giving them recruiters, on-demand recruiters. So if you think of recruiting, you really think of it as like there's two ways to hire, right? There's either doing it yourself with ZipRecruiter, Indeed, LinkedIn, all, all the other job boards, or you hire a headhunter. And that was sort of the model that was existing prior to us. And what we really said is there's got to be a better way. And there's a variety of reasons of why there has to be a better way. Now, move the clock ahead to post-pandemic world, Finding people is a full-time job. If we all grew up with the expression, finding a job is a full-time job, today it's finding people is a full-time job. And who has the time to do that now? Attrition is higher than ever before. That's going to continue. That's not going away. The great resignation will be replaced by the job hopper economy. You're going to see more and more people moving around faster than ever before. 
And at the same time, who wants to pay 30% of a salary to someone who's not going to stay for more than 24 months? So you take these different shifts at a macroeconomic level, and that really comes to, gee, I really don't want to hire a full-time recruiter. I want to do something on a fractional basis. I need an on-demand recruiter, uh, and then I need software as well. And that's really what we're providing to companies, large and small. Let's talk a little bit about the trends then. If I'm running a company and I'm using your software, walk me through a little bit more of how the process works. And again, I'm thinking of your comment. If I pay a traditional recruiter 30% and my person's gone in two years, that's an incredibly pricey trend. Yeah. So we don't charge placement fees. The exception, of course, is if you hire one of the recruiters that we place and we convert those over, that's probably the only exception. Although we do have a program, we have a hybrid model for some companies that want someone to do that. We call it My Recruiter Platinum. So the reality is that, you know, if you're looking to hire, I'll give you an example. Let's look at you guys and say, who does your taxes? Do you do it yourself or do you have an accountant do your taxes? We work with an accounting firm. Right. It's not your company, right? Right. I'm saying you personally, do you do it yourself or you have an accountant? Oh, same accounting firm that does the business does mine. There you go. Right. So clearly you could do it yourself, right? If you wanted to, or you could hire, does your firm hire a full-time accountant or you outsource it to an accounting firm? There you go. Right. So why? Well, I don't want to pay to have a full-time accountant and I don't want to do it myself. And so I'm paying someone to do my accounting a very specific item who's an expert in whatever they're doing. They specialize in that model and you're paying them for their time. That's what we do, but for talent acquisition, same thing, same model, same thing. And there's no reason that that doesn't follow that same model, right? There's no reason that you look at talent acquisition the way you're accounting. Hey, I need an accountant once a month, once a quarter, once every six months. Let me go retain the person. Let me have a relationship with that person. They know my business. They know what I'm looking for, et cetera. And that is, you know, depending what the customer needs, uh, it might just be, hey, I need a recruiter for 10 hours a week, right? And I'm paying that recruiter for 10 hours a week. Or it's, hey, look, I have a constant need for Java developers. So I need a new funnel of qualified, experienced, and interested Java developers to fuel my candidate funnel. So those are the two extreme examples. In one example, all I want is candidate pipeline. Those companies are using our software. Or it's, hey, I need, a, I need a talent acquisition professional. I need a recruiter, an in-house recruiter, but I only want them for 10 hours a week. And so we are actually able to supply both of those services with on-demand recruiters and software for our clients. It sounds like an incredibly valuable service. I keep going back to the trends you said. So we're going to go from the great resignation to the job hopper economy. The job hopper, yeah. As an executive in a company, I should anticipate then that I don't need to just get through this great resignation, get restaffed, and expect to go back to some sense of normalcy pre-pandemic. So this is yet another example of structural changes that have happened that will be with us long term. Yeah, look, the, the reality is this was already happening. It was happening out in Silicon Valley. You know, if you looked at a software engineer who was at four companies in 12 years, you would say, wow, that must be an amazing software engineer. Conversely, if you saw a software engineer that was at the same company for 12 years 
and they weren't the co-founder and it wasn't Google or Microsoft or Airbnb, you would say, wow, that person's probably stale. So if I said to you guys, and you're in the leadership space, five years ago, let's move the clock back five years. Five years ago, you saw a resume of a 30-year-old who had been at the same company for a decade. So 30-year-old, same company a decade, not Google, Goldman Sachs, McKinsey, et cetera. You would probably describe that individual as committed, loyal, and steadfast. If you now, May of 22, saw a resume of a 30-year-old who had been at the same company for a decade, not Google, Goldman Sachs, or McKinsey, how would you describe that person? Stale. Yeah, stale, right? You'd say stale, risk-averse, not interested in new things. So the only thing that's changed, what's changed? That individual hasn't changed in five years. What's changed is that the opportunities now are far greater than ever before. It is far, far, far easier today to find a job, to get a job than it was 30 years ago. 30 years ago, we mailed our resume, right? 30 years ago, we found a cool stock paper for our resume. We typed up a cover letter and we mailed it. We put it in the mail, literally put it in the mail or 35 years ago, whatever it is. And now we click, 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 and we're applying to jobs. You talk to someone applying for a job, coming out of college, you know, if they're not applying to 50 companies, there's something wrong. They're applying to lots of companies. It's never been easier to apply for a job. The expression, it's a full-time job to find a job would not be authored in May of 22. Interviewing, what was interviewing like 30 years ago? You had to take the afternoon off. You had to go to your, and by the way, when I say 30 years ago, it's probably five years ago. You had to take the afternoon off. You had to go to the employer, blah, 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 blah. What's interviewing today? It's a video screen right? Zoom, it's Skype, it's something very, very simple. If we're working remotely, if we're working in a hybrid environment, everyone has an extra 15 minutes to interview. So the opportunity now to interview is greater than ever before. Finally, companies need talent. So companies, do I care really where Maureen and Dan live? You know, so think about all the opportunities that you guys passed up on because they were geographically undesirable. That just doesn't exist today. Geographically undesirable job doesn't exist. What will exist is, oh, Dan can't be in the office three days a week. He can only come in every two weeks for two days. Okay, that's fine. One of the companies that bought mine was uh, divisionally headquartered in Atlanta, and I had to leave the company because I wouldn't move to Atlanta. That just wouldn't happen today. It just would not happen today. And by the way, I was going there every two weeks for two days. That just wouldn't happen today. So if it's easier to apply for a job, it's easier to interview a job, there's a talent shortage, and so companies don't care where you work from, right? We have this work from anywhere construct today. The only thing that was missing was, gee, I'm stuck at a job because I just accepted the job. So if we remove the inhibition of leaving, all of a sudden now there's nothing stopping an individual. Take on a looming recession and other things. Gee, what stops you, Maureen, from going three blocks down or three cities over for an extra $20,000 a year? The answer is nothing right? There are far fewer reasons to not leave a company. And you're seeing that statistic now, right? 60% of all millennials have no problem leaving a job within the first six months. Four out of 10 people are looking for jobs. 25% people would take a pay cut to work remote. Like there are all these statistics that are coming out now. And so, you know, while we predicted at the end of December that the great resignation will be over by the summer, it'll be replaced with the job hopper economy. So you're not going to see the attrition levels go back to where they were pre-pandemic. And by the way, while everyone calls it the great resignation, 
we really call it the greater resignation. There always was a resignation level, right? In 2019, the average attrition rate was about 3.5 million a month, right? So 3.5 million people were quitting every month. So when you saw the numbers, 4.3 million people quitting, I was like, oh my God, 4.3 million. Now there were 3.5 previously. And so it's a great tour of resignation. It's not that all of a sudden 4.3 million people woke up and said, okay, I got to quit. It's that there always was this bent up attrition. You're just going to see it, you know, uh, in a more pervasive fashion. How do you think this has changed the overall workforce then? If it will continue, what do you see playing out longer term? Yeah. So first off, there I would say three fundamental things. The first off is every company of size, let's say 20 people or more, are going to spend more money on talent acquisition than ever before. I will probably relate it to like security. So in the 90s, security was the the guard at the front desk that checked your ID. And today, every company spends money on security. It might be built into your email. You might have, excuse me, network management. You might have a VPN. You might have chief security officer, but everyone is spending money on security of size. And I would say the same thing. Every company that has 20 people is going to be spending money on talent acquisition. We actually predicted uh, at the end of 21 that $50 billion more will be spent in 2022 on talent acquisition above what was spent in 2019. And so far, it's playing out. So a lot more money will be spent. So to your leaders, I would say brace yourselves and start allocating budget to talent acquisition. The second is, I think... Sitting back going, gee, I just gave Dan a raise. He's not at risk to leave is wrong. And I think that you're going to want to show constant progression to your team. You're going to want to sit there and go, hey, Dan, here's what I expect of you now. Here's where I want you to be in three months from now or four months from now and eight months from now and 12 months from now and show constant progression. Because if you're not showing Dan constant progression, nothing stops Dan from leaving. And it's going to be too late right? It's going to be too late. So you want to stop Dan from picking up the phone, proverbially, of course, and reply, you know, to that job inquiry. The other is, you know, look, I think the other thing that's fascinating is that compensation is no longer a driving factor. What we've found through our recruiter index, and we do like a once a month recruiter index survey of our recruiters, is more people are leaving a job for more compensation, but they're taking jobs for both compensation and like work-life balance. So Dan answered the email or answered the phone because someone's offering him 20 grand more, but he's taking a job, not just because they're offering him more money, they're offering him a better work-life experience. So I I think that the, you know, the expression money solves all problems is a pre-pandemic response for your leaders and the way they're going to manage their teams. One of the things I hear from CEOs is the next time we have a recession, which is now predicted for next year, and I know this is crystal ball stuff that we'll all go back to less turnover. In your view, is that an accurate assessment or just not going to happen? Right. So, you know, it's a double-edged sword, right? If we start seeing wage deflation, right? So, gee, if I'm offering less money for those jobs, are people going to quit less? Are people quitting because they're being offered more money? It's not going back to the 19 levels, right? So I think we're all struggling to take our masks off and get back to normal. If you look at the history of the U.S., you know, since 1992, 
every macro event has changed the labor force and has never gone backwards. It hasn't resumed, right? We outsourced call centers in the early 90s. We didn't take those back. We did business process outsourcing in the early 2000s. We didn't take that back. We outsourced IT for Y2K. We didn't take that back. We started outsourcing our uh, data center services early 2000s. We're not taking that back. So there are lots of things that have changed that we've just never, ever taken back. So yeah, it's going to slow up from where it was, right? The great resignation is causing a lot more attrition, but it's not going back to the pre-19 level. It's not going back to 3.5 million people quitting. It's just not going to happen. And by the way, let's work it the other way, right? Your interest rate just went up on your home because you have a flexible rate. You would now need another $10,000 a year in your salary. Where are you going to get that from? You're going to quit and go take another job because there's going to be someone who wants to pay you more money. Right. So as long as there's someone who wants to pay you more money, that's going to happen. Now, the other prediction that we made in December was that work from anywhere is going to morph into hire from anywhere. So that's a really, really interesting phenomena that we're seeing today. So uh, there are companies like Deal.com and Oyster HR and Velocity Global who are these global payrolling providers. So I'll give you a for instance. So. Dan, you moved back to Argentina, where your family's from, during COVID. You moved down to Argentina, and you basically said to Maureen, hey, Maureen, I like Argentina. I'm not coming back. So Maureen now says, okay, I got to figure out how to pay you. So you can go to Oyster, HR, Velocity Global, or Deal and say, hey, look, you know, set up Dan in Argentina, and they're set up to do that. The same way that you can use an, an EOR employer record, they're your employer record for Argentina. Dan then says, hey, I know Maureen, you're having trouble hiring financial analysts or content people or whatever you're having trouble with. Hey, there are tons of them here in Argentina. I'm actually going to set up a quote unquote office in Argentina. So as long as you're having a talent problem in, in the US over there where you live, Maureen, let me go hire five people in Argentina. I'm already set up here as an EOR anyway. So we're seeing that happen in the tech space already. Like you can't find tech talent. So they're, you know, you're, you're going English speaking developers outside the U.S. I think that trend's going to continue fast and furious. One of the things that it seems like it's a big source of conversation right now is the work from anywhere, which companies allow people to work from anywhere without coming to the office versus the hybrid we believe that people are more productive when they spend some time physically together, whether it's one day a week or a day every other week. How are companies navigating that? Because I'm hearing both kind of parallel tracks. Companies are deciding. They get to decide what they want. It's a great opportunity for companies to sort of figure out what they want, right? You know, pre-pandemic, we had to do what our people wanted. Now a company could decide, you know, here's what I want to be able to do. I think it's an incredible opportunity for companies. A JP Morgan Chase says, hey, look, we want to optimize for in-person training of the next generation of bankers. So we're going to force everyone back to the office. And a company like Airbnb says, hey, we're going to go 100% remote. There's something very nice about both of those models. And so then the workforce recalibrates and yeah. if you're JP Morgan and you don't want to be in person, you go someplace where you don't have to be. Yeah. And vice versa. And vice versa. So, you know, the opportunity, you know, we started calling this like the great reevaluation or realignment or, you know, you got to put the word great in front of everything. But like, yeah, it's a great opportunity for a company to say, hey, look, 
I'm going to restock the people with the people that align with the way I want our business to run. And kudos to them. You know, I was getting calls back when like JP Morgan was forcing everyone back in the office. I'm like, it's great. Great for them. Why? Because they are going to be people that say, yes, I want to be in the office. I don't like working remotely. They're going to be people who go, I can't believe that. I can't believe that. Okay. So don't believe it. Company gets to decide what they want to do. And the people correspondingly get choice. Work from anywhere is a very candidate centric construct, right? Work from anywhere says, I must have Dan working at this company. And Dan, I don't care where you work from as long as you stay part of the company because I'm going to let you work from anywhere. Hire from anywhere says the role that Dan's playing could be anywhere. I don't care the role that Dan's in. I don't care where that person is. I'll hire that person anywhere on the planet. So I could hire from anywhere. Hire from anywhere is a very company-centric model. And you're seeing that really coming fast and furious now. Well, given the talent shortage, it seems like that will be here to stay. So let's fuel it. It's fueled by a talent shortage. And obviously these are knowledge workers, right? You can't run a restaurant with people working from Argentina, right? You can't run a factory with people working from, you know, Bogota, Colombia. But knowledge workers, yes. So if I can't find a knowledge worker here in the U.S. because my price point doesn't align with what's out there, then I can go hire from someplace else. Now, the question now is, if the recession comes, do I say, oh, great, I can go rehire all the people in the U.S. at a higher price, or do I hire more people outside the U.S. at a lower price? You tell me if, you're, if there's a recession, which way does it go? Well, and it probably also depends on the company's values. And if I want people, if I prefer people to be able to come into the office, if Dan's in Argentina, he's not coming in once a week. Right. So neither is Dan, if Dan is in California and your company is in Maine, he's also not coming in once a week. Mm -hmm. Right. So it really depends on the type of company that you want to have and optimize for. And then what skills do you need filled? Right. So your question was really, does the recession return everything back to normal? No. You're going to have the talented people are still going to command a salary level that they want. There's always going to be people that want to pay them more money for what they want. And then the companies are going to say, hey, look, we're moving people around. So I, I think there's going to always be these shifts going on there. And by the way, you know, think about if the average tenure was, let's pick a number, right? If there was a 22% turnover in the US, and that was the average turnover, monthly attrition was, uh, the annual attrition was around 22%. 15% in financial services, 80 in retail, back and forth, et cetera. If that number is 30%, now, most analysts think it's going to be higher than that, but let's assume it's 8% more. That is a very, very significant number, right? That is a much, much, much higher number. So if you're a financial services company and you're 20 people and the attrition was 15%, all right, you were losing two something people a year. If that number is now 20%, now you're losing one person like every three months, right? So you're actually always hiring someone every six to nine weeks or you know nine to 12 weeks, something like that. So there's just this ongoing process. And so even these small incremental changes are not that small, 22% to 30%, which isn't a big jump. We're seeing that even higher now. You know, it's going to be very significant. So again, just think about if someone asked you for guidance and they said to you, hey, Maureen and Dan, I've been at the same company for the last five years. Are you going to say to them, stay another five? Are you going to say, go try something else? Yeah, to your point, and we heard about this years ago, but that folks used to try to cover up being a job hopper. Now, 
that's something they highlight. I wouldn't say it's something they highlight. I think we're moving to a skills-based society. So, hey, I was at this company and, you know, there are no more secrets, right? So, hey, why are you there? I was there for six months. I wanted to do X and Y. I did it. And now I got a great opportunity to come over here. Mm-hmm. By the way, an article came out two weeks ago that said there was some statistic that like this percentage, whatever it was, would rather quit their job than work at a bad job. Crazy, right? It's just, but you know, it's a, we, we've prioritized life. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. Quality of life and work-life balance have become priorities. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's, that's the reality. In fact, I'm coaching a C-level person who quit a job and a significant salary because they, he felt threatened. There you go. And if that's happening at the executive level, you have to know it's happening further down. Right. What other trends are you seeing before we jump into the very specifics of how Recruiter works? Work from anywhere, morphing to hire from anywhere, job hopper economy. These are the trends and the increase in spend in talent acquisition. Those are like the three big trends that we're seeing today. And what I hear you saying is there will be some realignment. So the JP Morgan versus the Airbnb, even though that big realignment will be done at some point, that's right. They will still be back to the 30% attrition or, or whatever the number is for their industry. Well, we're not going backwards, right? It's not returning to the 2019 levels, right? back to a new normal that won't be everyone's realigning, but won't be back to 2018. That's right. Now let's talk about recruiter.com and how a candidate and how an employer works with you to optimize their life. Yeah. So, you know, let's keep this simple, right? We're Uber for talent acquisition. So if you want to go from point A to point B, you can either drive yourself or you can call an Uber driver, the right place, the right time, the right vehicle, take you from point A to point B. You pay them for their for the distance and they have a GPS to help them get there. That's really what we do for different companies at a tongue-in-cheek level. So the more sophisticated companies where there's a global head of talent, they know their hiring requirements. They have to fill 300 seats in the next six months. The number has gone increased because people are quitting faster or they're trying to grow and they need to augment their in-house team. So for your listeners who run bigger companies, there is a global head of talent, and that is typically our customer. Our customer is the global head of talent who's looking to augment their existing team. They either need a constant stream of X, Y, and Z, Java developers, financial analysts, uh, you know, uh, junior scientists, depending on the company, um, or, hey, look, we need six more recruiters as part of our team. We need six more experienced folks with these experiences paid by the hour. And ideally after, you know, 120, 160 days, I'll end up hiring half of them, two of them, et cetera. So that's typically on the bigger enterprise. That's how companies engage us. We have a whole enterprise team that really handle the needs of our larger enterprise customers. And then we have a solution called My Recruiter. So start.recruiter.com takes you to our My Recruiter offering. We have My Recruiter Pro, My Recruiter On Demand, and My Recruiter Platinum. These are monthly subscription services starting at like $1,000 a month for a fractional on-demand recruiter using our software to help you find what you need. So if Dan is trying to hire a bunch of people for the next couple of months and needs some help, think of it as you know his Uber driver for talent acquisition 10 hours a week. So, hey, Fred, my on-demand recruiter, 
Fred could represent you. Hey, let me schedule Dan screening. Let me screen people. Let me job post people for you or use our software to go get the candidates themselves. And that's, uh, that's what we're doing on the My Recruiter side. As a candidate, do I upload my resume to you or do you go find folks? The reality is that we have 170 million profiles in our database. So we know who you are already. Using our software, we campaign to people in a very proactive fashion. Hey, Maureen, I have an opportunity for you. Are you interested? If you're interested, raise your hand. If you're interested, we'll then follow up with you and do other things with you. And then eventually, you know, our software would now put the two of you together, the candidate with the with the customer itself. We also run career communities. So those are like more niche-oriented job boards, like a ZipRecruiter and Indeed, but specifically around specific verticals. In those cases, you are actively looking for jobs and uploading your resume, et cetera. So in the first case, you said you know who we are and where we are. Is that coming out of something like a LinkedIn? We have lots of different data sources. It seems a bit disconcerting that somebody knows me and I haven't actively put my information out. You have. Or I've put it out, but I don't know where it's going. You have put your information out, right? Yeah, it's all over the place. It's all over the place. So we have just about every working adult in the U.S. and extended information on them. Your information's out there. 170 million people is a lot over half of the U.S. population. Yeah. Yeah. Just about every working adult. So then how does, and I'm not asking for anything proprietary, but how does then the AI work? Because that I'm assuming is a lot of the secret sauce. Yeah. You know, we use our AI to help figure out like, gee, we want more people that look like Dan. You're trying to hire Dan and we want people to look like Dan. So Dan's title at one company might be, you know, vice president, another company might be managing director, another company might be partner, et cetera, or his skill set. He might say, you know, Java developer, which in some instances means software engineer, some means coder, all these other things. So we, we use our AI to help identify people that look like Dan. We want a lot of people that look like Dan. We also have diversity, so we can actually only get diversity candidates or mixed candidates, et cetera, whatever we're looking for. And we build this addressable audience of targeted folks that align with what our clients are looking for. And then we'll, you know, run a variety of campaigns to say, hey, Dan, sorry to bother you. You know, we have someone that's interested in talking about an opportunity. Are you interested? Yes or no? At a very simplified level. As then, if I am a, an individual looking for a role, it also means I have to be very mindful of the keywords in my profiles. Yeah, sure. To at least increase the probability that I get picked up by you and sifted to the opportunities I would find valuable. Right. Look, there's a whole strategy around helping candidates find jobs. It's everything from leveraging your LinkedIn profile, building that out there, applying for jobs, finding people at those jobs, talking to recruiters, you know, in those specific areas, getting involved in, in niche vertical communities aligned with what you're looking for. So there's a whole strategy around there. Our real focus is the client, the customer that's looking for people. That's really our customer. Okay. I'm just assuming that your customers also value you because the AI makes the recruiting process efficient. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day here, we're serving up candidates to our clients. That's what our clients all want. They all want talent. They want, they're having a hard time finding talent. They need help finding talent and they don't want to pay 30% to a headhunter to find them the talent that they want. Let's shift to you have been leading 
recruiter.com for a few years now. What has this experience been like for you as a leader during the pandemic, post-pandemic? It's been incredibly rewarding. We're helping companies. We're helping companies find their talent. And that's just very exciting. You want to be a company's first phone call, which is difficult in an industry that's huge and that is too easy to leave. And, and we're getting it. You know, we have clients that have been with us now for a year and a half. We have clients that leave, you know, their global head of talent leaves one company, joins another company, and we're his or her first phone call. We're seeing growth through our clients. We're seeing recruiters. Uh, we have almost 200 recruiters out on assignment now. None of them work for us. They're all like out there, the on-demand recruiters. And they're coming back for more. We have repeat assignments and give me a different assignment. And it's, it's great to watch. It's just very, very rewarding to watch everything really worked. You know, we've grown really substantially. You know, uh, we're a public company, so all our numbers are online. In 2019, I think we did about almost 5 million, something like that. In 2020, we did 8 million. In 21, we did over 20 million. So we're, we're growing very, very quickly. Uh, and it's just exciting to watch everything all come together. So is the growth, certainly the great resignation must be feeding that. Yeah. Is the recruiting on demand service or fractional recruiting, is that new? Yeah, our software didn't exist until last year. And our on-demand business really just started at the end of 2020. So these are all relatively new services. And they've been growing very, very well throughout the last uh, two years, year and a half. Well, and given the numbers you said, that I would project that you're going to have continued and significant growth. Yeah, look, the good news is, the talent acquisition industry is a $76 billion plus industry. You know, it's a, it's a huge industry. So, you know, you think of ZipRecruiter and Indeed and, and LinkedIn, and maybe they're $4 billion, maybe in revenue. So let's assume they're $4 billion. That's $4 billion out of a $26 billion segment called talent identification out of a $76 billion market called talent acquisition. So the biggest players that you know of are actually relatively small relative to, you know, the rest of the size of the industry. You'll know Corn Ferry and Hydrogen Struggles. What are they? A billion each? Probably not in terms of their overall size. So the talent acquisition industry is a huge, giant industry. And, you know, as I think Warren Buffett would say, right, going after an existing industry is, rather than inventing a new one, is, is much easier. What are you most excited about as this industry unfolds and gets more sophisticated. What I'm most excited about right now is we're launching more career communities. So I think there'll be a return to the niche career community. So for instance, Media Bistro is our career community for the media and ad tech space. Award winning, we've been named with some you know best niche job board. So I think there'll be a return to the niche career communities. If Dan wants to go get a job in crypto, better for him to go hang around career communities that are evolving crypto, right? That's the best place for him to be aware of, let people know who he is, you know, people find him, et cetera, learn uh, meetups, et cetera. I think my recruiter, our my recruiter offering, the SMB offering, I think is incredibly timely. Every company that we sign always tells me when I speak to them, I can't believe that not everyone on the planet is using this service yet, right? Because everybody's having a hard time finding people. And we now have an offering where you can actually have access to a experienced recruiter for $500 a week. You can't get that, 
right? That just doesn't exist in the market today. And we're the guys actually doing it. Do you have any competition at this point? I'm, I assume if you don't yet, you will. The answer is our biggest competitor, when you're in a market this size, the biggest competitor for us in the enterprise side is really do-it-yourself is really our biggest competitor, right? So companies saying, I'll just do it myself, right? If Dan needs to hire someone, Dan's my competitor. Not ZipRecruiter, not Indeed, not LinkedIn. Those aren't our competitors. Those are, those are do-it-yourself tools. So our competitor really is doing it yourself. I would say the same thing. Let's go back to the example we used with accounting right? Your accountant's competitor was not really your other accountants, right? They were referred to you. You had a relationship with them, et cetera. Their biggest competitor is really you guys decided we're just going to hire an in-house accountant and let them do it ourselves. That really is the biggest competitor. That's probably it right now. We're also recruited.com, right? So we have this incredible brand name that was very attractive to me, right? If our, if our name was called dansrecruitingservices.com, we probably wouldn't have the presence that we have today. So what do you want our listeners to be thinking about as, as we talk about these trends? Think about what you're doing to help augment your talent acquisition capabilities today. I think everyone's going to say to themselves, you know, what is my talent acquisition and retention strategy for 22 and beyond? What am I doing about it? Where's my bench? Where's my pipeline? Where am I ensuring that I have a plan for everybody? And what do I need to be constantly recruiting for? And I think the other message to your audience is everyone needs to be constantly recruiting for something. Think about a restaurant that says we're going to stop promoting the company. We don't need any more customers. No one ever says we don't need any more customers. Never. You might say we have a lot. We have a standing room. We have a wait list. But like you don't stop. You don't stop trying to find more customers. And if the most important thing in a company is its people, you shouldn't wait around and see, uh-oh, Dan's going to leave. Now I got to go replace him. Because rest assured, you're going to be having 30% attrition, right? You're going to have this attrition. Think about what your company looks like if almost a third of the people are leaving every year, right? If the number is 22% now and that goes to 30%, imagine 30%, six out of every 20 people are leaving your company inside of a year or so. Like that's a very, very significant number. That means you constantly got to be looking for people. From the company side, not only am I looking for people but I also need plug and play processes so that I can, when Dan leaves, Dan's replacement can come in without a one-off. Oh yeah. You know, the notion of spending a year getting someone up to speed, it's just not going to work anymore. And I also think going back to your question before, if we're talking about hybrid environments, well, the less FaceTime I have with a new employee, the harder it is to get them up to speed. So who's doing that? Who's managing the new people, et cetera? By the way, that goes back to price, right? If you're not an in-person, you know, hiring interns or hiring entry-level people when no one's actually coming into the office is actually very hard to get them trained. So you're going to ha- want to hire more experienced people. More experienced people cost more money. So there's this ripple effect there. Do you offer support on the client side to help them think through the things you just said? No, we're not a consulting firm. We're not a consulting firm. You know, we do talent advisory. At the end of the day, we're delivering candidates. That's our focus. We're delivering recruiters and candidates for our clients. We have partnerships with coaching firms and talent effectiveness companies, et cetera. You know, that's really what we're doing as opposed to, uh, you know, we're, we're not a consulting firm. From a person running a company perspective, you've pointed out real clearly, getting them in the door 
is the first piece. But as the executive, I also need to think about how long they're going to stay. How do I invest? How do I upskill them? That's right. That's right. Dan had a question about, you know, is attrition in factory workers as bad as Java? Yeah. You know, one of our clients is a big consumer brand and their head of talent, she was telling me like, they don't have a hiring problem. They have an attrition problem. It's actually harder. They'll lose a person within a week. A week. I started, but the company across the street offered me an extra 25 cents an hour. I'm going across the street, right? This job hopper stigma is far less about a factory. Why do you go from that, that factory to that factory? Oh, if they offer me an extra dollar an hour. Why not? You know, why not leave? You know, you're seeing that really happen a lot there too. And that can't go, you know, you can't have a work from anywhere or a hire from anywhere, you know, in a factory worker. So the, the attrition there is harder. And what you're seeing happen is uh, companies hiring more. They're actually stocking up on employees, right? So if, if I have 10 open recs for people, I'll hire 13 people knowing that three will leave within the first couple of months. And by the way, that's actually having a ripple effect, right? Because let's assume that there's a finite number of jelly beans. And instead of you hiring three of those jelly beans or hiring six of those jelly beans, well, there's three less in the jar for the next guy. So all the prices start to go up there because you're trying to overhire in order to make sure that you actually have the right people in place there. And that's part of the challenge that you're going to see now, right, in the industry for a while are people just hiring more people. So I, I think the first thing that happens in the recession is not that they change the wages, is that, okay, instead of overhiring, let's just hire what we need. So that's not going to have the impact that's going to have on the job hopper. It's just not going to have that impact. It's going to have a slow up in the number of people that a company is going to hire more than anything else. Are companies doing anything creative to, I want to say, force people to stay? Yeah. To lock them up with comp plans and... Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're seeing that. You know, we, we had recommended to some clients, like we were just musing around with them, actually tell someone this is a two-year assignment. Right. This is a 24 month assignment. Stay for 24 months. I'll pay you a lot of money. There'll be a nice big bonus at the end and then you can go do whatever you want to do. So they're sort of embracing this notion that it's a, you know, it's not this long term assignment. So almost using a long term incentive plan kind of construct even for more junior roles. Why not? Now, it makes sense. I'm just wondering what employers are doing to slow the exit. They're creating progression plans. You're moving people faster through the process. You're figuring out what do they want to see? You know, if Dan likes to travel, then it behooves me to say, hey, Dan, stay for another three months and I'll start sending you on the road to Italy or whatever, you know, whatever you're doing there. Because I know Dan likes to travel. And again, you know, you're creating plans for your people. You're building a bench, you're creating plans and you're creating incentives to try to keep people a little bit longer. By the way, you know, rest assured, like, you know, two years from now, You'll be talking to CF people about, gee, I'm, I'm, we're able to keep people an extra three months because of these three things. And we've been able to keep people for three months longer than before. So we're able to amortize our training across an extra three months. And, you know, that'll be, you know, oh, my God, I can't believe you're able to get three more months out of somebody on average. And you'll, you'll start hearing those things talked about. So when you say creating progression plans and you're using small increments, it seems like a few years ago, we moved away from promoting people every year. How are you balancing or how are you seeing companies balance that? There's no one way you're seeing. There's no either or. It's an and both, right? It's really each company saying, how do I make sure that I have the people that I want to have? 
there's really no one answer to anything. You know, we grew up in a in an either or society, and now it's really an and both society. And people are going to be different. Is training playing a big role also in that? And I think you alluded to this. If I want to learn how to do a new skill, right? That's a big part of the progression is stretch assignments. That's right. You're seeing a shift to like a real skills society, skills-based society. So I may help Dan stay by saying you really wanted to learn this new thing and I'm going to help you gain the skill rather than I'm going to give you a title. That's correct. So as a smaller company, that's something we can do where I can't necessarily create a bunch of VPs. That's right. So you could say to them, hey, you need to do better in public speaking. So I'm going to let you start representing the company and doing all these other things. But yeah, absolutely. So that seems much more attractive. And frankly, one of the things that talent management folks have tried to do for a long time, but often got hamstrung because it just wasn't the top priority. Yeah. And look, I, I think we're going to try to start, you know, there's going to be a discussion around how do we keep people a little bit longer? That's what that's going to be about is how do we keep people longer? So Evan, I want to make sure that we have an orderly exit. So thank you very much for joining us today. Your insights are incredibly valuable for the executives who are struggling with how do I acquire talent and also helping recalibrate their expectations for those who think, this is going to be done in six months and then they don't have to worry about it anymore. <laughs> I think the recognition, and you said it best, Maureen, you know, it's not going back to where it was, right? The world has forever been changed and the world of talent has forever been changed. And we need to embrace that knowing that things are going to be different. And we've always been able to, as a society, adjust. And it, it's an exciting opportunity. It's an exciting opportunity for companies to consistently have new and fresh people coming in. It's exciting for companies to say, hey, look, this is a 24-month project and thanks, Dan, for coming, but hey, it's over, right? We're, we're done with you, right? You did a great job, fantastic. And you know that's what we're doing here now. It's exciting to say, hey, we're going to build a bench of people. We're going to have fresh faces coming in out of university and we're putting them in these roles and then we're going to move them on and we're going to take two thirds of them. And it's just going to be a normal thing. And the stigma that we had the job hopping stigma, if that's removed, the next thing that's going to remove is Maureen saying, hey, Dan, you did a great job here, but you've been here for four years and it's time that you moved on. We're not worried about that anymore. We're just not, we're not dealing with those things anymore of, of a, as a company going, oh boy, what, what happened to Fred? Well, we had to let Fred go. It was really sad and everyone really liked, it's gone. And again, I'm, I'm exaggerating to prove a point, but this is an exciting opportunity for companies to rebuild themselves for people to think about what skills they want and for a company, a fast growing company to say, hey, what skills do we need today for the next 24 months? And it might not be the same skills that we need, you know, two years from now. But by the way, my, in my company back in the 90s, you know, I remember our staffing plan was 50% people that are going to be lifers and 50% of people that were hot shot engineers that we knew they would leave after 18 months, but at least we got them for 18 months. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong in sort of identifying upfront what sort of company you want to have, et cetera. And, and again, if you create long-term incentives, you know, to keep people a little bit longer, then, uh, then great. And more importantly, I just want to thank you guys. Mm. I listened to a bunch of your uh, podcast in preparation and it's just, uh, you know, what you're doing, the information that you're giving to your audience is really fantastic, really fantastic. And so uh, I really appreciate the opportunity and uh, looking forward to continuing this conversation in the weeks and months ahead. 
Evan, thank you. And as we close, would you give our listeners, you had a couple of different websites, not just recruiter.com, but another one? Yeah, so you can reach me at Evan, E-V-A-N, at recruiter.com. That's a great way to reach me. You can uh, reach us at recruiter.com, or if you're interested in our My Recruiter service, you can go to start.recruiter.com. Those are really uh, great ways to reach me, and uh, really, really appreciate it. Mm-hmm.